Welcome back to the Football Fitness Federation podcast. This is episode 178 and this episode is with the head of strength and conditioning at Nottingham Forest, Brent Dickinson. And Brent spoke about gym culture and how we instill a good gym culture into our clubs and our players. He also spoke about some of the challenging uh, some of the challenges even faced when building culture especially when players, like I've titled this episode, I don't do gym, which is probably what a lot of people, especially at first team level, have heard the odd player say and how we get around that um, and how we sort of educate players on the benefits of, of the gym work that they do. The success stories as well. So when Brent presented, at, and Mark Devonshire actually presented at our uh, networking event at Forest, they showed a video with all the success stories from the academy, some of which are playing now in the first team, but others are playing elsewhere and have got unbelievable careers. And it's amazing to see the amount of players that have come through that system. So they spoke, um, sorry, Brent spoke about that as well. He spoke about some of the success stories at the club and how that's come about. We talked about competitiveness in the gym, which is something we've touched on in a few previous episodes, but I think it was... Brent gave some really, really nice examples on specifics on where he actually uses it and when and where we should get players competitive and also when and where we probably shouldn't as well. And then we also just touched on some of the key movements for players that incorporates into his program as well. So loads in this one again, really, really good to catch up with Brent. Not Obviously not spoke to him since the meeting over at Forest. And if you were at the Forest meeting and you saw him present, you'd, you'd understand the brilliant work that's being done at the club. And if you weren't, the good news is the presentation that Brent did is actually available on our online community. So you can go to footballfitfed.com, click the community tab and sign up to a free month and you'll be able to check out the presentation from Brent as well as numerous other practitioners that are presented for us too. And just on the subject of networking events, I just want to say a huge thank you to everyone that came to our last event at Oxford United. I think this one from the group discussions was possibly up there with one of the best. I certainly enjoyed it. Some of the discussions, the open-minded chats that went on between practitioners was absolutely incredible. Chris and Harry at the club were unbelievable with their presentations on perspectives from working in different sports. So big, big thank you to everyone that came out to that event. And our next event is just over a week away as this podcast goes out down at Bristol City Training Ground on Thursday, the 17th of March. And we've still got tickets available for that event as well. So go to footballfitfed.com, click the shop tab and you'll be able to grab yourself a ticket to that event. We've got three presenters, uh, three presenters Steve Taylor from the club. We've got Del Bonsu, um, also from Bristol City, and also Rich Clark is going to be presenting for us too. So some more brilliant content coming from that event as well. And it'd be great to see as many clubs represented like we've had on the last few previous meetings um, as possible as well. But let's get into the episode now. Episode 178 with the Head of Strength Conditioning at Nottingham Forest, Brent Dickinson. Welcome back to the Football Fitness Federation podcast. This is episode 178 and I'm delighted to be joined on the podcast today by Brent Dickinson. Brent, how are we doing? Hi, hi Ben. Yeah, good, to, uh, good, thanks. How are you? Oh, good, thank you, mate. Now, as I introduce your title, I'm going to be very careful because I've been warned about this before. Head of Strength Conditioning at Nottingham Forest, not Knott's Forest. I'm not allowed to say Knott's, am I? 
No, mate, that's Nottingham <laughs> Forest. Yeah, you'll get shot. <laughs> I've been told that go, don't go to, down too well in the local area. So Nottingham Forest, no, head of S&C. Um, that's correct. But yeah, mate, thank you very much for coming on. Obviously, we caught up at our networking event, which was a, a few months ago now, and you presented for us, which is absolutely quality. And I wanted to follow it up with a podcast because I feel like there's some other stuff we can go into and expand on some of the points that you made in that presentation as well um but just kick us off your career so far do you want to give us a little rundown on the clubs you've been at the roles you've been in that have led up to the job at forest yeah sure sure uh probably been around for a long time now when i look back um so i started off back in 2005 um i was the head of academy snc at hull fc which is rugby league um, so I was there for a couple of years doing that role and then uh, a full-time role came up there as well. So I worked part-time at, uh, whilst doing that. A full-time role came up. Sorry, can you hear that noise? No, it's cool. <laughs> uh, a full-time role came up um, where we had kind of a junior squad that worked alongside the first team. Um, so that kind of was my way in a, a little bit. So then I got promoted to assistant, uh, assistant strength and conditioning coach at Hull. Um, was there until 2013, left, finished my master's off, went into football 2014, um, head of s for the academy at Nottingham Forest. Um, and then was in that role until October 2020 when I was asked to come over, uh, head up the SNC for the club, uh, and obviously been there, been there since. Perfect. Uh, and, that, and you uh, spoke in the presentation that you did for us about some of the success success stories that have come through the club in terms of the amount of players in it. And I knew there was a lot, but when you started showing the amount and the quality of players that are not only at the club now, but have gone on to do great things as well. There's a hell of a lot of players. So when a club like that are producing players, you've got to take note and realise that there's some probably some pretty good stuff going on at the club. So it's, it'd be good to dive into some of that. Um, and I know there's obviously other practitioners involved in that journey as well, but it's also interesting from your perspective because you've been at Academy now first team and seeing the progress of some of those players. So do you want to give a little overview of the pathway to start with on, on some of these players and the progress that they've made and maybe the, some of the things you put in place or the clubs put in place that have benefited them? Yeah, sure, sure. Like when I first came in on uh, um, back in 2014, there was no pathway in place. So for me, it was a blank canvas, which was, which was brilliant. Bring your, bring your own ideas. And I've been, I've been successful kind of putting in a long-term athlete development plan in, in, in rugby league um, where we produced a lot of players that have gone on now and I'm watching the telly on a Friday, Saturday night and I'm thinking, oh, I worked for you when you were a little boy, you know. So to see that still going on is, is being class. To now, obviously, when we've done it in football, um, we started off quite, and I started off quite brutally as such because it was the guys that were over in the, uh, the 23s that I probably had to make the decisions around December time. So it was, right, we're going to have to kind of lay it down and say, right, we're going to be brutally. Who's actually going to make progress within this? What can we do to actually say, because we're going to probably have the least impact on you. All the way down to 
at the time it was the 15s. That was my kind of where I got stuck into a little bit. It was 15s to 23s. What can we impact now? What's going to be um, what's going to be later on? And kind of the the people that I see that have had the success of that and the first ones to get it was one of the lads that's in the first team now who I'm currently working with, Joe Worrell. So, you know, he was the kind of the first person to impact as such. Him and Ryan Yates, obviously they're first teamers now. So in that point, it was, right, let's see if we can get a good uh, testing battery in place. Let's instill a good testing battery that we can refine over the years and it's changed it's refined to what we did then to what we do now but the basis of was was let's find out how they move and let's find out how robust they are in terms of their, their strength levels um and then put a program in place from the 15s to 16s that was a specific um and then the 18s and 23 so we had more impact definitely off the 15s we always kind of knew this and set this out as a plan 16s um, obviously we needed to get them up to scratch to when they were going to come into the 18s 18s we were thinking right we're going to have a, a decent bit of impact here we've got you for two years and then obviously the 23s we need to put a plan in place for you but obviously let's just get you over uh, over the line of stuff because I knew that I would probably have the least impact on, on that age group um, so it was a little bit brutal in that same sense where everyone's from the industry would probably think no you try and give the best to all your athletes well we would but we knew that in terms of a, a long-term athlete development plan we've I'm probably coming too late for them guys mm. you know so that was my thought process behind it and it was can we define from the younger age what a, an efficient movement program will be can we challenge them taking my some of my philosophies about uh, mastering movement let's get them actually being excellent movers and then progress them through stages of development with different exercises through different movements and give them the biggest toolbox possible. Then obviously with the 16s, introduce them to, to, to lift, but also instilling within that program as well that there has been challenged with movement, Every, anything and everything that we could think of, anything and everything that would, would make it fun. And the same with the 18s uh, as well. The, the basis was, look, we need to get you strong. And I knew when I first came in over the two, three weeks, it was, look, I need to actually get them to lift so I know that they can actually deal with what the coach is going to throw at them, what I'm going to throw at them. And then can we build it over time, which was produce a create a plan, change a plan, build our, our macro for the 18s for us. It's a two-year plan for them. And can we actually get them to a point where, yeah, the decent movers, the strong through each range of motion uh, and the robust. So it, that's kind of the, the underpinning thought process behind it. And then we can start to put the cherries on top. And like uh, we, it was kind of a new staffing when we, we all started at the same time. So it was even speaking to the 23 spot scientists, I still linked in and did their strength work. I was like, look, normally we put all the cherries on top to your athletes if they was in a decent place but they're not so we're going to just really really be, be basic on some stuff we're going to do get them over the line but in my head the next batch are going to have these second years so it was almost like right let's build into the, so we can have success at the 23s from a physical point of view let's try and actually build them as quickly as possible as safely as possible um, following the same sort of philosophies but then they'll be ready for the 23s and kind of took a stage process through it. Once we kind of got up and running, it was then refining each program. And then as that the programs kind of developed, um, our testing battery 
developed as well, where we could actually then start to compare across age groups. So everyone from certainly from 15s to 23s, we, we would refine the testing process to results. So there was testing the, the major uh, exercises that were, oh, sorry, major exercises, major tests that we would recognize that would give us the, the best information about the athletes. And then we can compare across age groups where they're at, how far or how big the gaps are. Certain elements, the gaps might have been like this, they might have been like that, you know. So we were trying to actually refine the process to how big they are, and then we can start to uh, change our program to kind of develop them areas a little bit, but obviously specific to their age group. Um, and it, it kind of it's, and it just evolved, and, and it, it's, it's gone from there. Perfect. Oh, that's <laughs> a real, really nice overview. But from what you mentioned earlier on, coming from rugby and putting in place a long-term athlete development program in rugby and then having to do it in football. Can you talk about some similarities, but also some differences? Obviously we're talking about different sports, yeah. but you've put a model in place in two sports. Like what were some of the similarities, some of the differences across the two? Well, my philosophies and my beliefs are that I'd like my athletes to be strong, fast, fit and powerful. Two completely different sports, but then it's understanding what your actual needs are from it. So acceleration, we need we need that in both of them sports. They need to be strong. The strength in different ways. And actually to, to be able to accelerate, to decelerate, to change direction. Very similar in terms of what you need. It's just a different ball. Mm. You know, you're actually smashing into people in rugby league, but obviously in football. In certain terms, you might a little bit, but you know, it's completely different in another in another sense. So, but there's certain aspects there. When you're talking about the youth, we need them to move really, really well. We need them to produce force. We need them to be able to jump. We need them to be stable. We need them to be robust. We need them to have certain amounts of eccentric strength. We need them to have strong uh, adductors, abductors. You know, so the, the similarities are there. It's just then what they do out on the pitch, which is slightly different. We don't need them to be to be bodybuilders as such within the gym. You know, we need them to be strong, robust athletes. So it's then what you actually put into the content of the session that is then specific to the sport. Within the youth system itself, we're trying to create the biggest toolbox possible. If, if I went to a job and I was a plumber, I had three tools instead of six, I'm not going to do the job very well. You know, if we try and create our athletes within the gym and certainly over in, in the other building, which is behind me, we need to give them the biggest toolbox possible to be then if they do happen, come in, uh, come onto the pitch and they're put in a certain position that they're not used to, or at least can they be strong enough to deal with it? So within some, some of the work that we did over there, some, uh, some fun stuff in terms of challenging them through different movements, through um, gymnastics uh, movements, through through stuff where there was challenged in terms of balance, proprioception, et cetera, et cetera. Can we then also put in, ensure that they move within their strength session as well? So um, once you've actually, I'm a big believer in that if you do that with youth and you're trying to build the biggest, the biggest foundation and the best foundation possible for your house, the bits as you get more specific as you go further up the chain, is, is is easy to do. Do you know what I mean? So actually getting either to squat, to lunge, to RDL, to, to, to whatever, to do all the power, all the speed elements to, to it, that's much easier if you've got a very, very, very good foundation and it's solid and stable. So that, to me, 
that's what we implemented over in uh, while, when I was there in rugby league. This is what we did within, within football. We gave our athletes the biggest and the best chance to create a, a good foundation, a good strength base, a good uh, foundation for their house. Then as they started to get older, we then challenged specifically to, to the sport what we needed to do uh, or athletically towards the sport as such. Yeah, brilliant. Yeah. So is it fair to say then, the big, one of the biggest differences, without putting words in your mouth and correcting me if I'm wrong, is the culture in terms of gym work between football and rugby? Because you look at rugby players, like they're going to be used to being in a gym environment, um, test themselves in the gym, and then football obviously is catching up. We're getting to that point, but would you say that's the main difference? A little bit. Quite a lot of people would say like, "Oh, they, they love the gym. They they stick in the gym in in, in rugby league." Yeah, but the similarities are very very similar in terms of. I've known rugby league players hate the gym. Mm-hmm. You know, and I know some footballers that love the gym, and I know some footballers that hate the gym. But the similarity between the two is both that I've spoken to from from all age groups have all turned around and said, I have to do it. I know that if I want to get to where I want to be, I know I have to do it, even if I dislike it. God, I'm the strength coach and there's certain elements to it I dislike <laughs> you know, when I'm training. But if I want to, to be where I am, obviously I need to do it, but that, that's me. The, the players... So there is, yeah, I agree. There is definitely like a cultural perception that our rugby league players will do it and they have to be in there. Trying to create the culture in football when I came over is slightly different. Uh, but as it's grown within the club, the similarities I am seeing are, are very similar in terms of their attitude towards it. Now, now certainly from some of the younger ones that have made it um, and come higher up, some of the, uh, the older pros that I, I speak to, some of them tend to realise towards the back end of the career that, yeah, probably if I'd have only done this when I was younger, I'd be all right. And then some of the younger ones work their way up. They know some of them dislike it, but they know that the, to do it, it will keep them out on the pitch and they can do their job what they, to the best of their, you know, it will help them do their job properly as such or as best as that, that, that they can do. So, but creating that culture, yeah, it was a little bit of a challenge at first. And for me coming from that background of, and being young and naive to like, look, this is what we do. We're in the gym, we're doing this. This is, you know, and actually walking into that culture and, and trying to understand it more as I was younger, as I've come, come across the football, the first massive shock to me was obviously realising that they had nothing. There was no plan in place. And I was like, right, okay, I, I, we're a professional club here. Why is there nothing in place? So then actually thinking, right, how can I do that? And do you take in athletes that were, well, we're not used to doing this. What, what are we doing this for? What are we doing this for? To then actually, you hear it a lot where you become a salesman almost. Mm-hmm. It's a salesman slash, and you hear it a lot, a salesman slash educational. And to me, to actually create that culture, the biggest thing that I found, rather than trying to be a salesman and, and selling it just to get what you want, the educational side of it, for me, uh, seems to work quite a lot. So even with the guys that have over here in the first team, it's yet that that human side of it to actually be almost becoming a friend but having the boundary as such. But it's almost trying to figure, uh, trying to, the biggest thing that I'll probably come on to later on to me at the moment is actually understanding data and 
But understand it from an SNC point of view, how that impacts your programming based on what he's telling you about your athlete. But then actually selling that and educating that towards your athlete is more. So rather than trying to bargain with them and get something out of them to get what you want, it's almost like, okay, listen to your, get your point of view. What if you could do this a little bit more? What if this? Have you seen that you're a little bit weaker on this element? Oh, I didn't know. Right, okay, if you do this, we can actually get you a little bit stronger and we can get you faster. We can get you a jumping ball. And selling it in that way, but from an educational purpose and point of view, the more that I've found as my athletes have got a little bit older, and even with some of the younger ones, the more I can give them, it actually starts to to to, um, to challenge their brain a little bit. Where They actually come back with some really, really good questions. And I found out the more I can do that and the more questions they ask me, the more I kind of can sell it a little bit more to them and then they, they, they kind of buy in. And certainly some of the, the, the older pros that have come in, ask the questions, I can actually give them the actual evidence and just say, right, this is where we're at, this is what I think we should do. And then if you show them again in a couple of weeks time, you go, oh, actually, you know what? Yeah. And then they ask a few more questions and it kind of goes from there. And then the culture of an understanding of why they're doing it, 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 it then sets and creates that culture for me. There's other elements towards it where... For me, the basis of it was to, to, to uh, I've always kind of gone around the educational route, certainly with the younger ones and why they've understood why they're doing and what they're doing it for, rather than me just turning around like the old school side of my going, do this, do that, do this. It's why. And I've always kind of opened myself, left myself open enough for the lads to actually come to us and actually say, look, if you've got a question, ask me. I will give you the answer or the best that I can give you the answer. And if I can't give you the answer, I will find out the answer. And every time they've asked a question, I've always come back with, with the answer for them. And then it's like, oh, okay. And I can understand that. I can see how that then relates to, to what I'm trying to do outside. And it's always trying to educate in that sense. And I think that's how we've, we've enabled it to grow. But obviously there's other elements as to why that's also grown as well. And my philosophy behind that. So Yeah, no, that's yeah, no, that. no, The education <laughs> side is obviously really important. And we... A lot of people speak about that on the podcast, educating players and not just putting things in place and just like becoming that authority where you're just trying to push your own um, perspective and, and programs onto people. But with that, what I was going to ask is you, you just said there about having conversations with players, getting them to ask questions, which I think is absolutely crucial. Is that the approach you take and you try and get that right across the squad? Because obviously there's only so much time that you have and I know there's other staff members as well. And it would be ideal, wouldn't it, to have loads of time with each individual player and be able to get these into these conversations. But is that the is it just a case of trying to get round players as much as you can? Or are there other factors or other methods maybe that you use to get that education across? Yeah, a little bit. Um, it's so there is like over over in the first team, I found I have got as much time as I need to, to do that like within their individual programs that in their overview as such. So obviously everything as it would be, everything's based on their, the program's based on the testing down to the minor detail. So as I've created that, there's also a little bit of information there for them in terms of areas to work on and then the results that they see. So for me, when I do get time to speak to them, that's easy. So they can say, oh, what's the, they say, oh, what's this mean? What's this result? Uh, and then I'll relate to it in that sense. The other bit that I like to do is more of a competition basis. So everything from where I've come from when I first started my career to, to here now, the biggest thing that I've found is 
has to be competitive. You know, to get any sort of buy-in, you're working with athletes or elite athletes that want to win. And I've always said this, even over uh, with the youngsters, is if you don't want to win, what are you doing here? You know, you, you're at a professional club. You surely want to get to the first team or you want to rock out if, if you know that, you know, you don't want to, uh, or you're not, you're potentially not going to make it, but you've got a two-year two-year scholarship. Fair enough. There's some lads that have realised that early, quite early on, but they've enjoyed the time there because they've bought into everything, and then they've taken the actual attributes and and everything what they learn and, uh, and make them a better person to then take out into the world or, or a different club if they you know if if they're not in line. But what we've done is we've tried to make it competitive, and everyone's kind of bought into that, and we've made it fun and competitive as well which then everyone's trying to challenge to win. So as soon as they walk over the white line, is they want to win. And we've always been ingrained from a football perspective, from um, that you, we want you to win. But obviously be humble within that as well. And within our gym settings is to create that. As soon as I walked into the, to the first team to, to do it, the first thing I was like, right, okay. Not much of a gym environment in here. Couple of people that walked up to me straight away. I don't do gym. <laughs> I love that. I love that. <laughs> I went, right then, this is what I've got to deal with here. <laughs> so straight away within the first session, we was um, like just for fun. I just put up right. Who can do the most push-ups and chins? It's right on the board. Let's see. Two wins, and I got involved. You know, so straight away they're like, right, I'm gonna beat you, I'm gonna beat you. And it got instantly got people around the board and there was writing them up and said, You're cheating. No, you didn't do that, you didn't do that. And straight away I was like, right, I've got you. You know, it was the most simplest thing in the world, but then from then on, everything I tried to put in, at least one element within that was competitive. So the biggest thing that we'll use is the gym aware. So we'll do our barbell squat jump, we'll look at relative power. Uh, and we've got a set weight. So the guys, when I first started off, was 30 kilos, 40 kilos. Our most advanced group now, which took them time, was 50. But so everyone now can do 40 kilos squat jump. Put the gym wear on it. When we were able to do that, it's on the big TV, leaderboards up, uh, leaderboards up on the telly. And obviously the leaderboard, uh, our standing leaderboard is within the gym as well. So straight away, people are trying to beat it. There's everyone around it. Like I remember within the first three or four months I was in there, I had 12 blokes stood around the squat rack screaming at each other. And I was like, I've got you. This, this is it. So going from that instant at the first team level of time to do gym to now it's like, come on then. And everything there is competitive. So then the, the feedback from it was it's brilliant because it's fun. Um, and then obviously tweaking it and putting the other elements in that I need but then also just tailoring and just slowly drip feeding in little other bits and little extra bits where I can then go from it. But as long as I have the element in there. So creating that culture in there now, it's everyone knows what they're doing. So bring that in this in the first team building now, because it's competitive, because certain elements are fun, um, that culture's grown and it's developed. Over in the academy building, that's exactly what we did. So it was educational. This is why we're doing it. This is what we're looking to get. These are the reasons for it. What elements can I make fun? What elements can I make competitive? Because we still have to try and ingrain that, that side of it that is we need you to win. So if it was from a six-second peak power on a walk bike to the squat jump, uh, we even got the timing gates out in the gym 
so they could actually just go through over a five meter acceleration. Who's winning it? Who's doing this? Who's got the best cat movement jump? Who's got, you know, it, it was anything and everything. Who can do the most chins within three sets? Who can do most push-ups within three sets? It's little details like that. And it, and it went down really, really well. So again, from that culture of, from the 18s having nothing, to then them having this competitive environment created not only on the field, but also in the gym setting, it just snowballed and created that culture. But then keeping track on that and where they're progressing to is then obviously, yeah, that's, that's brilliant. You've now created your culture. And then it was like, right, let's see if we can keep track on it. How can we change it to make it age-specific? What we're trying to get them to. So it's like, that's our end goal. This is where we're starting. How do we get to that? And obviously, yeah, make it competitive and fun, but continue to keep that progression going. I mentioned briefly in the intro that Brent's presentation that he did at our networking event is available to watch on our online community. That is now along with the three presentations that we had at our Everton event from Dave Flower, from James Malone and from Lewis Charnock and also the presentations from our last event at Oxford United from Chris Neville and Harry Routledge and they joined a number of other presentations already available to watch on our online platform. So go and check it out. If you're not already a member, go to footballfitfed.com, sign up there on the community tab and it'll give you one month free. After the free month, it's only £4.99 per month going forward and you'll get continued access for all the content that's already available, but also future network meeting presentations and webinars and member discounts and everything else that comes as being part of the community. So go and check it out. If you're not already a member, go and grab yourself a free month, footballfitfed.com, click the community tab, sign yourself up for a free month. Here's part two of the podcast with Brent Dickinson. Mate, that's so good, so good, really good insight. And I know a lot of, a lot of clubs will, will use elements like that and get a competitiveness in the gym, and hopefully that is across the board, but it's, it's really cool to hear like how it's progressed and how it got to that point of players being stood around the squat rack. Like, like you say, at that point, the, there's a lot of benefits going on without the players yeah. really realizing it, isn't there? Yeah, um, yeah, oh, massively, massively. Like I remember one of the the players that actually come through the academy, the one of the goalkeepers, and he turned around to me and went, "Mate, this is brilliant." He said, "All the players are chatting about it in the changing room." So all the first team is chatting about it in the changing room, saying, "Look, I'm going to beat you. I'm going to beat you today. I'm going to beat you today." And he says, "It's just class." And like from then on, I was like, "Right, we're on a roll here. This is brilliant," you know. And I was going to ask a couple of things on that. First of all, did you win the push-ups and chins? Of course. Well, push-ups. <laughs> <laughs> and then secondly as well, you mentioned um, just before about knowing when to make it competitive and then when to not, basically. Because like you said, players are competitive animals, aren't they? They want to compete with absolutely everything. Yeah. So there is a, going to be a line of like, okay, this is the stuff where you can compete. This is where we want that competitiveness to run through, but this is the stuff that maybe needs to be a little bit more focused or whatever. Like, what is that for you? Uh, even, so we normally, if I look, think about it from uh, an academy setting and when we do it over in the first team, uh, obviously it's dependent on when our schedule goes while we're over, when I'm, while I'm over here now. Usually I'll try and get something within the, the our strength power session. So potentially maybe if, if we do it's our second session, our first session throughout the week, I can probably, I used to be able to get it done and it was mainly on the squat. 
So if I was at specific velocity speeds that I, I really wanted, then obviously I could get it up, get the get the gym wear up, look at um, whatever variable I, I required and try and make it relative to, to body mass uh, and try and get some competition through there. Obviously, you're going to have, you've got various sizes when you're going through the academy. So you've got the smaller guys, you've got the, the guys that have, are really well developed. So it's, so trying to make it within, if it was our first session throughout the week, predominantly looking back, if it was on our squat, you know, look, yes, we're looking at producing force, uh, but what's our speed target today? And then once you, once I have that, and obviously doing it safely, um, but trying to get that leaderboard up again, saying, not just looking at the weight, but actually looking at the specific variables, how fast it's moving, what power is produced, uh, impulse, what, whatever it was that I was looking for, that would be our competitive one from there. Then the specifics, right, okay, we've done that. Then your specifics are we may have hip hinge, uh, we may have some sort of um, other um, exercises attached to the program where it's like, look, yeah, that's the part that we're after. That one exercise is the one that we're going for today. The other ones are your assistance exercises or um, other ones to finish off within that session. Because within that session itself, the guys know that there's three exercises that I needed for, for uh, their physical development. One of them, like I've just mentioned, squat would be uh, the one where they could actually try and have a bit of a challenge as such in terms of meeting that speed target. But then we look at the actual force produced. We look at the actual relative force produced. So then that bit was made competitive. The other elements would then break off to be specific. So if we had our um, single leg strength group, if we had our posterior chain group, if we had uh, our power group, whatever. So in that first session within the uh, the academy, it used to be on a Tuesday. Um, that's how we'd roll. It would then be the one on the Thursday where we'd be looking at power, where we could make it more competitive. We could put in the CMJ. We could put in the squat jump. Um, we could put in the what bike so we had probably three elements within there and overall winner for the day of such within that uh, that strength power session um and then we used to roll with a, a session uh, on a monday which was more kind of franz bosch-esque just little bits of fun you know a- anything and everything that we could get them doing 20 meter uh, skipping running um cartwheels some uh, you know roly-polies except whatever you know and that made it fun so we had fun to serious slash competitive and then obviously the, the competitive part right at the end of the week. So it was, it was quite easy to structure within the academy setting to get that whilst also having your specifics for athletic development. And then obviously within the first team environment, kind of changes a little bit where dependent on schedule, usually Saturday Saturdays are, are, are really easy to, to program to get something competitive within there. The schedule shorter, then it becomes, becomes a little, not serious, but you know, it is, look, this is what you're focusing on today. These are the reasons why. Uh, and it's usually within our uh, congested fixture schedule when when that kind of happens. Yeah, that was something yeah. I was going to ask about. Is this point in the season, especially like now, currently, you guys are playing a hell of a lot of games. And yeah. um, obviously with your role, you're trying to get in sessions when it's suitable. So if you're down to one session a week or or whatever your the time available is for you to to get players around the game. What can you talk us through like your go-to, your go-to approach for like a, a session a week with with players? Yeah, sure. 
it's like the, I've had a look the, over the previous four or five weeks. We've been, you know, three games in a week, little time for a breather. Probably within, obviously, the guys are having a couple of days off to, to come up for air, and then we're probably having just that one session. It's been smart with what we're doing with him, like prehab settings as such, if you want to call it that. It's um, it's small micro doses of really low level work that will we'll stick in every day. Uh, it can become a little bit monotonous for some for some lads, but if you explain, look, because we've got we've got no time, fellas, and we want to keep you on the pitch, we're hitting um, Copenhagen's ISO holes. Um, we're probably doing little primers within the gym within that um, within that. Uh, pre-ab session to actually just give them a little exposure to something um, and that's how we've kind of rolled through them busy periods when it's come to them we've got our one shot it's like right we're just, we are solely <clears throat> excuse me we're solely focusing on strength you know it's going to be the biggest bang for our but we're just going to focus solely on a strength session uh, that'll take us over for a little bit we'll continue with our micro doses and then until we get the, the schedule opens up again we'll either hit our next strength session or we'll be able to look enough to probably get, hopefully maybe get two, we'll do strength, strength, power. You know, so that one session now will either be, our main focus has been split squat, so single leg strength, RDL, hip thrust, they're my biggest three bands in my book. They're my three main main elements. Then we'll either go um, onto force frame, so we'll actually get a reading of adductors, uh, adductors, abductors, so that'll be, bang, that, that's in there. Uh, we've then looked at um, using the using the flow board to do some lateral sliders, but we've then attached red bands around ankles to actually try and uh, actually pull the, the the lad's leg. So put some heavy resistance on it, so they've then got to control it. So actually put them into an extended position laterally and diagonally, um, put them into a range where they probably make it into in this rubbish weather that we're in at the minute. You know, slipping and sliding over on, onto the pitch. So can we actually keep them getting strong through that kind of range? Um, two, three reps, use the red band, we're pulling, they're resisting as such. And obviously, once we're at that maximum range, let go and they're coming in. Um, and then uh, work on calf, soleus, just isometric holds, a couple of reps, isometric holds, and then stick them on the knob board. Um, so we're, we're ticking all the boxes that I know from lower limb strength in terms of uh, that what's going to keep them on pitch. You know, it's not flashy, it's not fancy, it's, look, what, what do I need? I need strength. We know that if they're strong, they're going to stay up there. Can we get anything that monitors uh, within that session? Yeah, we can look at hamstring eccentric strength, and yes, we can look at um, adductor strength at 45 degrees. That's going to give us a, a reading for, for them, uh, ensuring that relative, relative strength is maintained or is being maintained. That's one of our biggest trackers uh, over this season. Or if there's anything that flags up where we then maybe need to put some extra exercise in for, for individuals uh, into prehab or, or pull them when we can. But then it's, look, right, we need hip in, so we're going to go hip thruster, single leg, uh, single leg work, and an RDL. So work from hip, work from knee, and then isometrically we know we're going to get that through um, within prehab. Then obviously sliders as such, we call them lateral sliders, lateral diagonal sliders with a band, so we know we're working uh, eccentrically there. And then calves, it's, it's not calves layers, it's not flashy. I know it's not not probably the, the most sexiest thing you're ever going to stick on Twitter or Instagram, but it works. It's, it's you know, people might say, well, it's a little bit old school. No, it's to me, it's, it's strength work. It's the time when we've not got a lot of 
time to work with our players. We're just going to keep them strong. You know, they, obviously they'll do the stuff out on the field. Um, but yeah, that's 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 my go-to as such. It's it's quite basic, but it uh, it's successful. No, that's perfect. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, in terms of those main three that you've got there, is there any variation? Do players need any sort of vari- variation of them generally, or is it pretty much set set that that's one of the reasons that you've picked those three because the majority can do them? Um, the everyone can do a split squat. Everyone can do so. Like when it gets even tighter, and I know that we may just. Have a couple of days, and I could maybe get a cheeky little little hit into him. We can reduce that and go obviously dumbbell. I like to go dumbbell Bulgarian, single leg strength. Okay, we'll still do hip hinge, so we'll still do RDL. Um, I'll just vary the weight the weights towards them, and then hip thrust. We may change from barbell. We may go from floor to on a on a box, or we may then go to dumbbell single leg. So if it was a really kind of low level here, I would probably go with, I would generally go with the three main ones, which was either some players I'll change rather than Bulgarian to either a pistol squat or a TRX pistol or just an actual sit down. So a goblet, just sit down single leg to a bench. So we've got three variations within that. And know that the majority, well, all of my athletes can, can do an RDL. So I'll either just vary the weight to make it lighter, depending on obviously what the week looks like. And um, like I said, I had to go dumbbell hip thruster. So I know that we're, we're just working through, to me, the three main elements that I need from there. I know that isometrically, if I need to work hamstring, we can, we're can we going to get that within prehab. We're going to get enough micro doses uh, for that to work. And then if we need to, obviously, put in a lower-level uh, dose of Nordics, we will try and get that within no more than you know zero to 14 days so we'll try and maintain that when we can for them um with the other if i was looking at my main session um because i know that a lot of uh, everyone can do a bulgarian or something single leg wise a split squat is quite it's it's easy to for, for all our, our athletes to do load it up single leg obviously weight may change um but i know then at least the better single leg strength uh, work in terms of RDL depending on what I want we've either put bands on it and looked at velocity some people depending on deficits that we we know or previous injuries that they've, they've had in the past uh, we might have gone single leg uh, and not single leg where they're going into like what I would call a superman it's a split stance assisted yeah. Uh, yeah. so we can still get enough load through that and then work single leg wise for that in terms of the hip thrust <clears throat> It's an easy win for me to get some actual good load through uh, for hip extension. So we will try and load that as much as possible. Perfect, man. I appreciate you going into that. I think it's, it sounds basic, doesn't it? But I think it's really important to discuss this because there's rationales behind it and it's at a point of a season where it, it's, I was going to say not ideal, but it's part of what we deal with, isn't it, in football? Like the performance <laughs> is the main, the main driver and everything around it has to be rationalise like you've just done so I think it is a, is a really interesting discussion around yeah. how it fits Yeah, th- look, to me I've always listened to this with, with other practitioners and over the years is what do I get paid for? I get paid to make sure players are out on the pitch so the manager and the coaching staff can work with them I know that if I keep them strong um, and obviously work on the other little bits when, when we can the biggest thing is keep them out there 
if they're strong, then they're not with me. They're outside. Do you know what I mean? They're, they're, I don't have to work with anyone through, through through rehab because if I can keep them strong enough, hopefully I can keep make sure they're robust by working on the other little elements within prehab as such at the beginning of the days to then ensure that they can do their jobs out on the pitch. So I always kind of mark it on there. It's I can always do the flashy stuff when it's needed. You know, if we're going to work on power, then let's try and try and periodize when we can best do that. Uh, and that's the thing. It's the biggest thing that I've found out from coming over from the academy was that we probably had like what I would look at by the time I left one of the most advanced programs I'd ever developed. You know, and it was it was exciting to think, oh, man, wow, there's loads that go into that. Uh, but then you try and take that and move it forwards, and you actually realize you need to strip that back a lot. Mm. You know what's what's what are they what are they, these guys over in this this first team really going to get? Where where are they? What do we need to do? And how am I going to keep them up there? And sometimes I needed to strip back some of the flashy stuff, and it's just right. Okay, let's go back to basics here. Uh, what's the biggest bang from your book? Which is strength session bang. There's basic strength that's going to keep you out there through this time period when it's so, so intense on them, and obviously they're obviously going to be tired from obviously all the games and everything that they're playing. So strength, easiest thing uh, to do. It's not flashy, but it works. Then when we can, and when the timing's right to do so, let's do our strength power stuff. You know, so then we can start to, to get a little bit more nitty and try to push different elements that with that we need to. Um, but yeah, it's, I've always stood by it and it, and it, and it, and it's worked for me so, uh, so far. <clears throat> perfect man I think that's a really good way to sort of wrap that bit up and we'll get into some of the quick fires that we finished the, the podcast with which I know you're looking forward okay. to um, <laughs> so first one being who were some of the biggest influences on your career so far um, so Dan Baker is a big one for me uh, obviously coming from rugby league as such so I've always liked the way that he's done. Uh, how he speaks about velocity-based training uh, and some of the other research that he's done. So it's always been a big one for me and there's so much that you can learn from from him, from velocity-based training, from power, from strength. So to me, he's been a really big one for me. Uh, Eric Chris is another one that I always used to love reading his, uh, his little uh, blogs that he used to send out. Franz Bosch, I mentioned him earlier on, some of the stuff that he used to, that he does in terms of challenging the athletes, you know, so we've developed from there. And then the kind of, there's loads of people that I've worked with, but I, I was lucky enough when I first started, I had about three or four different uh, S&C coaches that changed over fairly quickly. Um, but taking notes from them really, really helped. I think the, big, the two of the people that was quite big, when I first started out with Dave Joyce, I was lucky enough to work with him for for about a year or so. Um, Paul Devlin, I know you've had him on. Uh, I know, I think you might have had him on, but I know that he's been on a few podcasts. Who's that? Uh, Paul Devlin. I might have got you mixed up with being on on your podcast, but I know he's been on a few podcasts, uh, and I've worked with him as uh, under him. Uh, and again, from a rugby league background, uh, but Paul's excellent practitioner. Uh, very influential in terms of guiding me in terms of my career, uh, different elements to, to work with. Um, and I think that's about it. I know I've probably missed a few, and I know somebody's going to hammer me for not mentioning them. <laughs> no, that's always the case, though, isn't it? But um, no, Paul actually hasn't been on, so I'll have to reach out um, 
and get him on. But there's some some top names there, mate. Some real real good names. So I appreciate you doing that. Um, next one. What would you say your biggest strength is as a practitioner? Um, my attention to detail as uh, as I've grown up. So like my biggest strength, I mean, is attention to detail, organisation. I think I've always been one that's uh, ensuring that I'm organised. My, my wife will say different. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but ensuring that I'm, I'm organised, uh, certainly in my work life. <laughs> so making sure that I know what's going on and ensuring that I've got a plan A to D at least. Um, so organisation for me is a big one. Um, and as I've grown up, I've brought notes here if you can see me looking. <laughs> Um, data analysis, but not where people are thinking the GPS. Like the biggest strength for me at the minute is analyzing data that's going to tell me about my athletes. Actually, utilizing that, I think, fascinates me at the moment in time. To uh, what information you're getting back from the from the data, it's definitely one of my biggest strengths at the moment. Analyzing that information and then and uh, then putting it into place with the programs to actually then get the best out of it. So yeah, to me that is probably one of my biggest strengths now as I've as I've grown as a practitioner. Rather than I was thinking about this, I was talking to somebody a while back this way. You used to be when you was an SNC coach, just creating programs and trying to get the development. So actually understanding the data, the information, to then have that manipulation programs for me is how I've kind of uh, and I think I mentioned it when we was when you came over for the for the, that evening. To me, that is where I've evolved to now, which is using the data, analysing it, how can I manipulate the programme, what's that going to tell me, and then reanalyzing the data. So it's, yeah, it fascinates me at the moment in time. Class, yeah, you did mention it, and you also mentioned, obviously, we have Mark presenting as well, how it all links with other staff members too. So, um, no, that's top. And then final one, mate, what would you, what's your approach to CPD, continue learning? Because like we've mentioned a few times, we're in a crazy busy period of the season, but everyone's approach is a little bit different to continually learning. So what's your approach to that? Well, I like, I know we spoke earlier and I'm probably going to say it as well. I'm a little bit of a, a recluse and keep myself to myself when I'm in my car. I've got a nice hour and a half journey because I'm so involved in day-to-day life and put so much time into it. When I get that time to myself, like you're quite a lot of practitioners say, I listen to podcasts, I do this. I think the only podcast I said earlier to you was the podcast I listen to is how to try and learn Spanish. <laughs> and I do 15, 20 minutes a day on, on my drive in, and then it's music on, completely try and switch off before I actually get home. So when I do get home, all like the stresses and what have you have gone. When I actually come to CPD wise, it's for me a lot because of what I'm doing within my PhD, it's a lot of journal articles reading a lot of journal articles, trying to stay on top of any new ones that come out uh, and trying to read around the different areas for that. Listening um, to other people that I used to work with, uh, so actually trying to keep in touch with with other practitioners, just drop a message and actually see what they're doing, uh, if there's anything different, and then having a flick through uh, through Twitter, see if there's anything that catches my eye, you know, put your your filter on try and filter out what's good what's bad uh, and trying to use it in that sense so in terms of CPD I used to love I try I loved going to different conferences so for myself it was can I what conferences can I attend obviously hopefully we'll be able to get back into that now mm-hmm. um, and then if 
what I used to always think was is if you go to these conferences and you're actually listening to the, the best presenters and you're going, I know that and I'm actually doing that, then I think you're in a good place. You know, if I've always thought if you actually go in there and you come in away with a hundred pages, pages of notes, you probably you might be missing a trick. So trying to stay on top of stuff from a CPD role in terms of different journal articles, staying on top of what, if there's anything that pops up on social media, um, and then speaking to people. You know, the biggest thing that I think a lot of youngsters are finding at the minute is actually learning from other practitioners is uh, is one of the best ways to do it. So for me. That's why, I, that's why I tend to, to stay on top. Hey, that's class. Yeah. Gold in that answer there. Because like the first thing you said, I know we were joking before about listening to podcasts and stuff like that, but I think the really important bit about what you said is having that breakaway from what you're doing. Like it's intense, isn't it? Like you, you're yeah. in, involved in it, you're absorbed by it, like a majority of the day. And we could do probably a whole other podcast, a podcast series on the fact that coaches need that this time away from it. It's healthy to have that. Yeah. And like you mentioned, coaches can utilize a, a, a commute or whatever it is for listening to podcasts, but it can also be a time just to switch off. Yeah. And I think coaches have to question as well, whether it is on the commute or whether it's elsewhere, do you have that? Because if you don't, you probably should. Um, yeah. And I'll reference someone at the moment who's doing some great work on this and we're hopefully going to get a podcast as well is, is John Noonan. Um, he's yeah. putting some great stuff out around, I don't know how you frame it, coach health maybe, um, just around that and, and maintaining balance. And there's a lot of factors that go into it. So no, I think you made some great points there. Um, just to wrap us up, Ren, where if people want to reach out, they want to get in touch, maybe they've got questions or whatever it is, where would you direct them? Oh god, you could ask me Twitter name. I don't know it. <laughs> I've got it. I think I've it's got it. I think it's Brent D82. I it think. is. Oh, it there is. we go. <laughs> you can you can find me on there. Um, I think I'm pretty accessible. Like I've had a load of people just email me at the club. Um, so you must be able to get me email from the club somewhere but yeah the easiest one's probably just uh, on Twitter um, Brent the 82 um, quite accessible I know a lot of people have found me on LinkedIn as well um, and just dropped us a message on there so yeah they're, they're probably the easiest ways to find me um, there is an Instagram but I don't use it so <laughs> Twitter is probably my best one Perfect, mate. Well, this has been class. Really, really good to catch I've up. I've really enjoyed some, it. Thanks for having me on. Mate, it's been some top stuff in there as well. Some great stuff you've covered. So I really appreciate you doing that. And um, no, hopefully you. next time we speak, I don't know if it's worth mentioning or not, but there might be Premier League. Let's hope for a little promotion. Yes, fingers, fingers crossed. <laughs> <laughs> fingers crossed. But no, in all seriousness, so. all, all best of luck, mate, for the rest of the season and the running. I'll be I'll be looking out for results and then um, yeah, keep up the great work. Thank you. Thank you very much for having me, Ben. Big thank you for listening to the podcast. Really appreciate everyone's support and all the shares that you've put out over the last few weeks. If you can continue to do that, that is great because it helps us to reach more practitioners. So give this episode a share. But don't just share it, share it with some of your biggest takeaways as well, because it's great to see what you actually took away from the episode. I obviously always discuss mine at the end, but it's always good to hear what you took away from the from the podcast as well. Um, go and give Brent a follow. He's over on Twitter at BrentD82 and uh, tag him into any retweets and shares as well. In terms of takeaways on this one, 
Um, he spoke about obviously creating culture, but he also spoke about initially that he defined what he wanted the players to be at the club. And he said strong, fast, fit and powerful. And then that obviously, when we're talking about like selling to players or to even to coaches, we can revert back to what they want to see out on the pitch. It gives us a really, real good definition on why we're doing what we're doing in the gym. He spoke about becoming a salesman to players, which again, we spoke about before on the podcast, but I think understanding the art of selling, there'll be a lot of coaches out there that say, I'm not a salesman, but we are in a way. We're not selling um, a product in terms of like a, a, a exchange for money or anything like that, but we're, we're getting players to buy into what we're um, trying to execute as part of our program. So we have to understand um, people's emotions, the psychology that goes behind getting people to understand and, and buy into what we're trying to do. Educating players, again, comes up time and time again, but absolutely crucial. That education side is obviously something that has changed at the club from um, at the start when Brent was talking about having the blank canvas to now where players understand the programme, they understand why they're doing it, and they've also got some testimonials and success stories behind it that back that up as well. He said about sparking questions from players, which I think is another really, really good point. As soon as players are starting asking questions, you know that they're starting to understand it a little bit more. And I know a lot of the time when they ask ask questions, they'll probably be able to answer them as well. So I think that's a really important point. And then the competitive side of the gym environment, I think was another really key thing that Brent spoke about, utilizing that in the right way, using our competitive animals that we're working with um, is absolutely crucial. And it'll obviously get more out of what we want as well. But the other side of that, which I think was key, was where he spoke about where not to use the competitive side as well. We have to understand that areas we want players to really push and be competitive, but then areas that maybe needs a little bit more focus as well. So brilliant information in this one from Brent. I hope you enjoyed it as well. As always, please give it a share. Please push it for us. And if you've not already left us a review, head over to iTunes, click the five stars and just leave us a short comment. Maybe your favourite guest that's been on the podcast, maybe favourite topic, even uh, recommended future guests as well, which a few people have reached out for recently too. So I really recommend that. Um, And I'll hopefully try and get those people on as well. So again, huge thank you for supporting the podcast. I really appreciate the support. And I will speak to you again next week in episode 179.